Let Him Go Barefoot is a podcast that dives into all things parenting and education through the lens of mindful awareness. Conversations aim to bring forward patterns, beliefs, and attitudes that shape our expectations and ideas about what it means to raise healthy children. With the blend of science, ancient wisdom, and intuition, we will explore ways to support, nurture, and connect with our growing children while also nurturing and expanding ourselves. I am grateful you are here. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 16 of the Let Em Get Barefoot podcast. Today, I'm talking to Dr. Emily Splickle, a functional podiatrist who calls herself barefoot friendly. This designation may seem odd for a foot doctor, but because of the fear-based medicine in our Western society, she has witnessed the unreasonable fear of the natural barefoot amongst some of her colleagues. Her book, Barefoot Strong, aims to bring the importance of foot health back into the forefront. She wants to literally uncover our feet and help us learn how valuable foot health is for our nervous system and our brain development. We cover a lot of ground, no pun intended, We get into the science of bare feet, the benefits to overall health, considerations for kids with special needs, products you could use to stimulate your foot and the nervous system, the amount of time you should aim to be without shoes, the different surfaces to go barefoot on and why, why shoes are so common, athletes and barefoot training, and so much more. Her work is fascinating and naturally, I love that she promotes barefoot living. If you appreciate being on team Free the Feet, listen in. Share with your friends and enjoy the episode. Hi, my name is Dr. Emily Spickle. I am a functional podiatrist and human movement specialist. I am from now Phoenix, Arizona, formerly of New York City. I am a huge believer in barefoot movement, barefoot science, and I actually travel around the world teaching other doctors, physical therapists, and professionals about how important barefoot stimulation is for movement development, for rehab, and for athletic performance. And then in addition, I'm the author of Barefoot Strong, which is a book that I wrote a couple years ago to help people understand their foot type, the power of barefoot science, um, something that I call foot to core, which is how our foot muscles actually connect to our deep core muscles. And this is really important to how we control movement and control our posture. And then I am also the mother of a three-year-old spicy little girl, and <laughs> Lily. Say, I'm sorry. Say her name again. Lily. Oh, that's adorable. Well, and I'm sure she's barefoot, right? <laughs> barefoot. She's barefoot. Absolutely. Well, I love what you're doing and the work that you have put out into the world. And I, I really appreciate your book, Barefoot Strong, and it's Unlock the Secrets to Movement Longevity. So I have read through it and I was alarmed with some of the information and also wishing I could go back in time. So I had this, you know, at the beginning of my life and also um, my children's lives. So as you know, I'm a proponent of being barefoot and that's sort of the impetus for when I became a mom and I started seeing parents really upset with their kids being barefoot on a playground. Mm -hmm. And I wondered, you know, what was the big deal? Why is everybody so upset about our kids, you know, taking off their shoes? And 
for me, it started becoming more symbolic that it was about control and also fear, worrying about kids stepping on things or, you know, getting something in their feet and making them sick. Um, and yet children just so naturally do that. So from your perspective and experience, is it a great idea for kids to go barefoot? And if so, what what are the benefits and how does it help our children develop that strong core? Yeah, absolutely. I see that all the time as well with, with my daughter who's three. She was barefoot. She did not put on shoes until she was about 18 months old. And that's because mm-hmm. we had to because it's so hot in Arizona. And oh, yeah. some of the flooring or the pavement, she would she would burn her feet. Uh, but yeah, she was barefoot all the time. She is barefoot always at the playground, even now. And I would find that in parents. And the funny thing is that um, my husband's parents, so my mother-in-law, would say the same thing when she would take her shoes off at the playground and say, oh, no, 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 you don't want to hurt yourself. And I had to stop her. And I was like, from what, right? That we need mm-hmm. to have that that natural freedom. Obviously, children who are not shaped by societal pressures um, do what feels innate and natural. And it is to feel and connect to their environment. That's actually the It's called the peak window of neuroplasticity, which is from newborn to the age of four. And this is when your brain is super active and developing all the powerful synapses and connections that will then start to shape the rest of your childhood into adulthood. So that that neuroplastic phase is really when you do want to be optimizing sensory stimulation, movement, obviously various types of play um, all the different textures that they will use, all the fun slimes that my daughter loves right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but what's interesting about the foot from a sensory perspective is there's what's called, there's a part of the brain that's called somatosensory cortex. And it is the sensory information coming into the brain and the parts of the body, the skin that interacts with the external world. The ones that are the most sensory sensitive actually represent the largest part of the brain. So the largest surface area within the brain or the somatosensory cortex. And there are three main areas of the body that are very large from a sensory brain representation. And that is going to be our mouth, our hands, and then our feet. And that makes sense as far as why babies put a lot of things in their mouth is they're starting Mm -hmm. to understand shape and texture, things like that. And then, of course, our hands because of the need to manipulate things. And then the foot makes sense, right? Because we have to be able to read and interact with our environment. Mm -hmm. Well, and with our skin being our largest organ and our feet being the primary thing that touches the earth and sends that signal and starts that communication process. What I loved too, that you explained in your book was the, um, with the foot containing thousands of small nerves that are sensitive to every subtle movement we make. And I'll just read directly from, from that section. It says our ability to walk, run, or jump is all initiated through stimulation of these nerves on the bottom of our foot. And we have 26 bones, 33 joints, 19 muscles, and 106 ligaments, which is 
really fascinating when you think about the the structure of our foot and the importance of it. And yet we tie it up really tight in our shoes and our socks and we send our kids on their merry way. So how is it that our society has sort of interfered with children's development and also our own development as adults um, with the interacting between the earth and our bodies? Yeah, I think that there's a couple of things as far as, you know, footwear is a business, right? So the footwear industries, mm-hmm. like many industries in Western society, want you to buy their products. So they use media to convince you that you need said product, right? So in the case right. of shoes, you know, our feet were not designed to support itself is a, a huge part of incorrect information that's put out by the APMA or the American Podiatric Medical Association. So many podiatrists will truly believe that the foot is not designed to support itself in modern society, which just sounds so ironic mm. to me or conflicting. Then you have other industries like the actual manufacturers that want you to think, okay, impact in these surfaces are very bad for you. That's why you get hurt. So you need their high-tech cushion in their shoes and you need to get the newest one. Uh, You can't just have one pair. You have to continuously replace it. So that becomes obviously something environmental that is, is kind of disruptive as well. And then, you know, you really have the fashion element as too. Like it, it, it represents something. Footwear has always represented fashion, society, status. That's where it actually started mm-hmm. from its origin. So with children, especially not, not my daughter's age, but when you start getting into school age, these kids are looking at each other and judging or making assumptions or profiling them off of their footwear, right? I don't know if kids wear right. Jordans anymore, but that used to be the big thing is to have you know, mm-hmm. the Air Jordans and people would beat you up for your shoes, right? It seems so crazy when we actually don't realize, okay, what we're doing is we're just feeding the beast of, you know, kind of this societal belief, when you actually look at the science and the research and you see, okay, the complexity of what you described, all those bones, ligaments, joints that have to move and move and feel the ground with every step that we take, and that those muscles are connected to our hips and our pelvis, and that influences how we move our body awareness. Um, There's actually connections between plantar foot stimulation and cognitive, so you can see correlations of actual cognitive development, which is really powerful, and then even emotional development and emotional flexibility. So I think of optimal brain function from a movement, a cognition, and emotional flexibility. All of that does go back to sensory stimulation, feeling the ground, feeling our feet, moving well, being connected to our body, which is a sensory experience. And unfortunately, that's being taken away very early because of the reasons that we just went over. Yeah. Well, and when you say the cognitive and emotional impact, are you saying that if you're able to have a direct contact with the earth on a regular basis, that it is actually positively benefiting your cognition and your emotional resilience or awareness. Yeah. And in, from a school setting, there is 
now more and more research and there's prior research. Um, there is a book called, uh, or a program called brain gym. And then, mm -hmm. oh, the book is called smart moves, smart moves by Carla Hannaford. She has written a book. I'm sure that you're familiar with it. And, um, she wrote a book on how we need to move in the education system. And a lot of that movement is, of course, being connected to the ground, your body, the, the experience itself, and that that is necessary for feeling safe. So controlling the autonomic nervous system, where if we, if we can't feel our body, this disconnection of being connected or safe throws you into more of a sympathetic fight or flight state. And when your hmm. autonomic nervous system doesn't feel safe or grounded, you do not prioritize learning new skills, learning mathematics or, you know, your ABCs. And you also mm -hmm. become very reflexive or reactive in your emotional responses. So her, her book, Smart Moves, is one of the best from a childhood perspective of looking at movement and sensory for this cognitive emotional balance. And a lot of it is going to go back to the autonomic nervous system. Right. Wow. No, I don't know about that book. So thank you for mentioning it. Um, well, and, and as you're speaking, I have a background in working with kids with special needs, including, um, you know, some learning disabilities or differences in ADHD and autism. And I'm wondering if you've seen or if that's an area you've explored um, a connection between children who are in the category of neurodiverse are seeing a positive benefit if they were able to take their shoes off more frequently or were they children who didn't have much of an experience of going barefoot um, and if that somehow impacted their um, kind of emotional reactivity? Yeah, I think that obviously those different diagnoses and things like that are very complex. But what I can mm -hmm. say is when you look at kind of this, this spectrum of sensory need for for children that when you do bring sensory to the child then a lot of these other processes start to fall in place and okay what i can say based off of my experience with naboso so naboso is a sensory product line that i developed about four years ago, and we have insole socks, mats, release tools, weighted sticks. So these are different textured products that are stimulating a very specific nerve in the bottom of the feet, in the palm of the hand. And we okay. have more and more parents getting it for their children when they have uh, autism, ADHD. Uh, we use it for idiopathic idiopathic toe walkers, which is very sensory based. And you can sometimes see that paralleled in some of these other diagnoses, but the autism ADHD is one of the most fascinating that I see responding to the Naboso products. Um, we have what's called hmm. a sensory stick and it's textured and then each one weighs two pounds. So they're, they're lightweights, but they have texture to them. So when you combine two different types of stimulus. Um, the weight is stimulating what's called proprioceptors. I don't mean to make this too confusing. And then the texture is stimulating the nerves in the hand, which is 
tactile or mechanoception. So when you stimulate these two different aspects of the nervous system, the children that hold the sticks actually become more centered. I have so many videos of parents saying, I gave the sticks to my child and they have not sat quiet like that. And still oh. for like 30 minutes, they're like, oh my God. So it's, wow. it's really, really powerful when you bring very specific stimulation to the nervous system, which is why mm-hmm. I would say barefoot is good, but just being barefoot, if it's not moving the needle or seeing a tangible shift in maybe some of the listeners, children, or, um, you know, just kind of observing someone, it may be that you need to dial up the stimulus a little bit more so that that child's nervous system can actually be sufficiently satisfied. If that's okay. Right. Yes, absolutely. It's a customization. So we're sort of like, you know, not barefoot in general, but more like the specific need for the specific child. Um, So it actually brings up a question about the different environments to be barefoot in and the different textures and elements that we come into contact with on a regular basis. And I know that you said in your book that all all surfaces are not created equally. So which ones would you say are the most beneficial to us on a daily basis to try our best to get outside? Well, first of all, should we try every day to be barefoot? And then second of all, what are the best surfaces? Yes. So I do recommend that people be barefoot every day. Uh, When I speak to adults who are going to an office and commuting and all of that, then I say, okay, can we at least get 30 minutes of barefoot stimulation every day just to stay connected, tuned in, stimulate those nerves? Okay. That as as a baseline. Uh, But Mm -hmm. for, for children or beyond that, really what I would say is if we can get more and then play around with the different surfaces that you are on. Now, every surface provides different feedback, meaning that there is different durometers, irregularity to the surfaces. Actually, one of the most important stimulation that we get from surfaces is vibration. And Mm -hmm. vibration is ground reaction forces. So as you're foot, even if it's your little foot, hits the surface, it is feeling these vibrations that come from foot ground contact. That vibration is very, very important to bone development, to neurostimulation, to uh, stimulating the loading response, to maintaining balance. It's how our cells communicate with each other. It's so, so powerful. So we need to be able to bring this vibration in. Okay. Every surface resonates differently. So from, again, like in an adult setting, I recommend it a little bit different because they're thinking, okay, what do I exercise on versus what do I play on? But Mm -hmm. so in a adult exercise environment, I would say to be on a hardwood floor, kind of like a group exercise studio, especially a suspended group exercise studio are great. Uh, Old school dance studios, like I used to see in New York City, those are amazing. Um, tile and concrete. Tile is in many homes. Um, do not vibrate. So those are very harsh surfaces to our nervous system. It's why people get plantar fasciitis when they stand on their feet, even just in their kitchen. Um, and then to be outside on natural surfaces like grass, dirt, things like that, you're going to obviously get the vibration. But another added benefit is that you get to 
earth or ground, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So to, if you can, I call it checking, if you can check as many boxes as possible through one technique. So if I want to be barefoot, I want the variety of surface stimulation and I can earth or ground at the same time to bring all of that powerful beneficial stimulation to my nervous system, that would be great. Yeah. Well, and as you're speaking, I'm thinking it would be so wonderful if our bodies had like little lights that could like travel up our nervous system (laughs) so we could literally see what was happening. So I just imagine, you know, as a child or even an adult who goes outside and puts their bare feet on the grass and walks around that there you would, you would see like a little blue light traveling up their nervous system into their brain and lighting up a part of their brain to make them feel better, to elevate mood. Um, and I know from personal experience, just being outside every day, barefoot, it, it makes a difference. And I notice when I go without it, especially in the winter time, um, you know, the mood shift, um, it feels a little, it, it takes a little bit more effort to get outside in general. But then of course, now, now we're not barefoot, but we do go barefoot in our home all the time. As a matter of fact, I'm barefoot right now. And I did that before we spoke. I wanted to make sure mm-hmm. I got my outside time. So when it comes to, um, I, I like how you call yourself a barefoot friendly podiatrist. And as you mentioned earlier, sort of the standard model of podiatry tends to lean more towards protecting the feet because the feet need protection. So how do you think we got here? Where, where do you think we sort of veered off course? I know you mentioned the push to buy and, and sort of, you know, the marketing world and that sort of thing. But as far as the actual medicine side, how do you think we got to the point where we think that the feet are so um, fragile that they need to be protected all the time? Yeah, well, we were talking about this a little bit before uh, before recording and the concept of fear-based medicine is very prevalent within the Western medical society. I feel that that's a big part of how I was trained is, you know, out of fear that I might be sued, out of fear that I could hurt a patient, out of fear that the the patient might not get better. So this this fear-driven mentality is Mm-hmm. is never really the approach. It becomes very reactive, hypervigilant versus creating space, um, empowerment. Uh, I'm much mm-hmm. more someone who would rather educate, empower, inform my patient. When I go through even very complex diagnoses, I speak to them out loud of my differentials and why I'm crossing some off and how I rule other ones out so that they become part of the conversation and they don't, they, I'm I'm not guiding them into over evaluation because of fear. Um, You know, yes, things, severe things do happen, but not Everything is the worst case scenario as it walks into into the office. Um, so I just I do find that, especially with a lot of my colleagues, which is why I think they don't recommend the natural foot approach. Is first lack of understanding, so it's just a naivety on their behalf. If they mm. don't understand it and they don't have a deep curiosity, just an innate curiosity to learn more and an open perspective. Um, 
That's the other part of it is you have to kind of challenge a little bit about what you were taught in medical school and say, I don't, that doesn't sit well with me. I don't think that's really the full story that I'm going to explore this over here and maybe I will have other answers and other recommendations for my patients. And that's that's a big part of how I shape my practice, which is why I speak a lot about the pelvic floor and diaphragm, interoception, the autonomic nervous system. You know, sometimes I'll go all the way back to trauma in people's life. And that's why they have these psychosomatic chronic pain conditions in their feet. Like it's, I, wow. I go yeah. very broad beyond what I was taught in medical school. But I think that's just because it's my personality to be curious and to keep questioning things and then to challenge something that just intuitively doesn't sit right. And I just could not go to sleep at night if I kept recommending without questioning why I'm recommending Mm. that. Well, I can relate to that a hundred percent and echo your sentiments completely, especially when it comes to our educational system and where I have been and the journey I went on to get to where I am as a parent who um, feels very strongly in natural learning and um, not putting kids in boxes all day and giving them that freedom and flexibility to interact with the world in a way that matches their temperaments and also um, pursue the interests that really naturally line up with them so that they don't learn at an early age to be focused so much on weaknesses, but instead consider more what their strengths are and then work to fill in the holes and the gaps, but not in a way that's come from shame and punishment and force and things like that. So the barefoot mentality, if you will, feels very aligned for me from an educational perspective. And then I see it from your, excuse me, your medical perspective. (coughs) Excuse me. So I wonder, there was a couple of terms that you use in your book. One was um, foot laziness and the other one which I, <laughs> I had to laugh because you said shod society. And I was like, what does she mean by shod <laughs> society? I've never heard that word before when it comes to the fact that it mean, means being shooed. Yes. Is that even a word? Is that even a word? Shoed? No, shoed is not a word. So it's <laughs> shod, yes, a shod society or someone who is going to an event, you could say either with shoes on or they're going to the event shod. It's, I yeah. see. Okay. Yeah. Right. So that's, um, that was new for me. I'm sure other people might feel the same. (laughs) And then what do you mean about foot laziness? Like how, how has that kind of evolved over time? Is that because of wearing shoes? Is that because people went barefoot incorrectly or, you know, how, how can you differentiate that? Yeah. So I would associate foot laziness as kind of one, one word that I'll put out there. Another one will be tuned out. So your, your feet are either, either lazy or you're just tuning them out, right? You don't even really think about them or realize their presence throughout your day, your movement, your posture, et cetera. And mm. a lot of that I do associate with chronic footwear. It's kind of like wearing mittens all the time or something that, you know, unless you are stimulating or actively engaging and bringing a consciousness to the contraction of the digits and the lifting of the arch, your 
brain is going to tune it out and filter it out because it's so many other things that it has to focus on. So a big part of why I wrote Barefoot Strong was to bring the importance of foot health back to the forefront um, and to make it in a way that is interesting, intriguing, not gross, not voodoo, right? Our our Mm -hmm. feet are hidden in our shoes and a lot of people have kind of these shame association with it. Like, oh, I don't want to take my, are you going to take your shoes off? Like, yeah, Yeah. like I didn't, what if my feet smell? Like there's this whole, (laughs) I've been, I've been teaching barefoot certifications and courses and workouts for the last 12 years. So I've literally Mm. seen and heard it all and every reaction. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's, it's really silly at the end of the day, because it's like, okay, no one cares you know, your feet look great. If they smell, okay, whatever. Right. But it's, it's really freeing. And that's why I will tell people who are hesitant. So let's say if I do, um, I recently did a lecture at a retirement home. And so now you have people who are in their seventies, pushing 80, maybe in their eighties, and they've been doing the same thing for decades. Right. And then now you're trying to change some of their beliefs and what they've done and their habits. So it can be really kind of conflicting. There's an ego self internal conflict with this. Um, But what I tell them is you can totally tell that they're curious because everyone is moving their feet and we're doing these exercises and everyone's enjoying it that I just say, you know what, when you go back, you know, to your room or to your home, et cetera, just, you know, try it, try it in your hotel room, right after a conference. And just try to do what I'm doing when you're all alone. No one's there. No one cares if your feet are smelly. Right. And then you'll be able mm-hmm. to connect and feel what I teach people. And then that will hopefully just spark the fire or the, the match the curiosity to then explore it even more. Um, mm-hmm. Cause it's, it's, it's very like, once you start doing it, it's, hard to go back. And just a a really quick story on this is when you look at barefoot research, so there's now increasing research in the athletic performance space, and they will have athletes do barefoot movement, barefoot movement prep, barefoot training in alignment with their sport. And there's always this paragraph at the end of the research study that showed, you know, reduced injury risk and increased performance with barefoot training, which makes sense. But it says Mm -hmm. all of the participants after the research study wanted to continue keeping their shoes off during their training period. Like there was this whole like, well, now that I know what it feels like to be barefoot, I don't want to put my shoes back on. Right. So I always find that interesting that you don't know what you don't know until you find out. Right. 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 Well, I remember excuse me, I remember as a child watching the Olympics and I don't know if you're familiar or remember Zola Bud. She was a, an Olympian runner who ran barefoot and it was such a big deal and everybody was making such a big deal about it. And as a kid at the time, I remember thinking, well, that, I mean, it makes sense. You know, I run barefoot. I know what that feels like, but I guess because of the world of the athleticism and being in the Olympics, you know, you're supposed to have something on your feet. So that was something that stuck out to me. Um, for many, many years. And I guess, you know, she was just one of those people way ahead of her time. (laughs) So what are some of the detriments to foot health that we would want to take into consideration 
you know, if there are people listening who really have just been kind of on team shoes for all their lives, or maybe even, you know, since they became parents, um, is, is, is there a time that you're thinking, okay, well, we've been doing this for so long, it's too late, or is it always time to try to go barefoot a little bit more and, or, you know, take into consideration the following, you know, maybe two or three things they can think about in terms of switching the mindset from wearing shoes all the time to going barefoot more? Yeah. So the way that I start to get people to be open to the idea of transitioning to some level of barefoot stimulation, that could even be just in your home, right? Or stand in the backyard. If you take your child to the park in warm weather, could you like oops, slide off your sandals and just stand on the grass barefoot, right? So to kind of connect to it is first one is to start incorporating a foot release. And adults have different stress to their feet than children just based off of the sheer accumulation of day-to-day stress year after year. So the foot pain that in adults' experiences is very different. When you, where you will actually start to see it is more like the teenagers. So I actually treat quite a few teenagers who play soccer, basketball, they dance, things like that. So they're starting to up their foot stress and are many times constrained by very specific footwear, like a soccer cleat is going to be very rigid, stiff, doesn't flex, constrictive, is going to accelerate the stress that that child's foot experiences versus someone else who's not in a rigid cleat like that. So I I want to have this daily foot release, which could be, I tell people to do it when they're brushing their teeth. So Mm -hmm. um, at Nabosa, we have what's called a neural ball. It's a ball that splits into two pieces. You have like two domes that you stand on and you're just releasing your feet when you brush your teeth. If you don't have that, a golf ball, lacrosse ball, anything just to kind of massage and bring awareness, circulation, break up any stickiness in the muscles. It's really, really good. Um, I love to do it at the beginning of the day. And at the end of the day, so twice a day, you're just getting this foot release. Then it could be, okay, can we just start to understand that your feet have muscles and those muscles are very much connected to the action of your toes. So it's called toe flexor strength. So a strong foot is theoretically one that has high digit engagement. So digit strength. And what that would be like is I teach an exercise called forward lean. And what I would do is have someone stand with their feet shoulder width apart and you would find your foot tripod, which is underneath your big toe, little toe heel. I'll just explain it that way for the sake of this. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to, once you find your tripod, you want to stay on the tripod, lift the toes, spread them out really, really, really wide, and then place them back down onto the ground and then stand really tall arms by your side. Imagine that you're stiff as a board and you're going to just rock your body forward. So you're not flexing at the hip, you're stiff as a board and you're just gonna lean forward slightly and then go back into a vertical position and then lean forward slightly and go back into a vertical position and just kind of keep waving through this. And what you wanna notice is every time you slightly lean forward your toes, pull into the ground and that pulling or flexing of the digits into the ground is actually activating the foot. 
So I will do this mm-hmm. forward lean, I don't know, five to eight repetitions to teach an individual how to wake up their foot. And then can they, once they do that, can they find that same engagement without forward leaning? And then that is the baseline of kind of foot tripod, foot stability, which I would then, you know, snowball into many, many different exercises and programming. Okay. Yeah. And I, you know, we are in the digital age where a lot of people spend a significant amount of time seated. Would there be particular exercises you would recommend for people if they're at work or even teenagers or younger children, which, you know, of course, my wish would be that they would just be outside barefoot running around. But if they're inside and or the weather's just not conducive to being outside barefoot, are there particular things they could do in a seated position or is it better to be standing up because of the impact and the weight? Yes. So could you do, so this exercise that I was describing of like tripod, spread toes, toes down, engage the digits, that's called short foot. And anyone who starts to kind of go down the rabbit hole of my work will inevitably find me speaking about short foot. And (laughs) short foot is that toe engagement. When we do it seated, versus standing, you do not get as much activation because you are not as high in gravity. So as as much as you can, you want to be standing to get that gravitational signal as well. Um, But for people who are sitting, you know, could they do a, um, you know, posture check, you would want to kind of unwind the body or reverse the constrictions or uh, lack of mobility that sitting creates. Um, Sitting prolonged makes your glutes shut off. So it causes lazy glutes or sleepy glutes, uh, which is very important to how we control our posture and our movement and our gait and performance is is very much contingent on being able to connect to our glute muscles. Um, So I would just say, okay, is there something that we can do to reconnect that foot to core connection. Um, what what I would just add is kind of the cherry on top is that when you are doing that forward lean or just pushing your toes down, you technically want to feel your ab muscles contract. So okay. that connection is really what's activating things. Um, and that would be something that you know, let's say you're at a standing desk because there's increasing numbers of people at standing desks, that if you're at a standing desk, you still can be very passive in in a posture position at a standing desk and then get low back pain when you stand, start to get foot fatigue, foot pain, plantar fasciitis, all these things from just passive posture. I try to teach people what does active posture feel like, and that is connected to your feet, connected to your core, and technically connected to your fascia, which is this connective tissue spider web that wraps around every aspect of your muscles and your bones and your joints. And a fun fact, I find it interesting, is that there are over 100 million sensory nerves in that connective tissue web. So gravity is the baseline trigger or stimulus to that 
sensory tissue. Um, so I actually look at our connective tissue as an extension of our brain. And I try yeah. to connect fascia, which you influence your fascia every time you move. So a child moving and playing and running around versus sitting at a desk uh, or playing a video game sitting is actually stimulating their entire myofascial web because of all of these 100 million sensory nerves, which is activating the brain. So even if the movement isn't barefoot, you're getting a massive amount of sensory stimulation. Obviously, you take the shoes off and be barefoot during that movement, and you just compound the effect of that movement. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and if, you know, if anybody has paid any attention to how they feel and or watching children go from a resting or sitting for a while to moving, the mood changes, the body looks different, there's vitality, you know, the face is lit up because the blood's rushing through the, to the cheeks and, you know, people are getting more warm. And so it's so evident to all of us, I think, that we've all experienced it personally and then witnessed it in others, the, the, the need for movement. Um, and then the being barefoot is just the cherry on the top, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. As I so, shift, sorry, I, I just had one other thought for what might no, be interesting is that as I shift in this like next phase of my career is a big thing that I focus on is just total body perception and movement accuracy. And mm. what I see more and more in children in the schools, and you could probably agree or disagree with me, is kind of this increasing clumsiness or a lack of mm. awareness of their body moving in space. Um, I was trained as a gymnast, so I have very high attunement towards body perception and accuracy of movement. It's almost like the difference of watching a dancer versus, you know, someone who kind of has two left feet in a sense. Um, yeah. But that is also very much connected to barefoot movement, exploration of play, and the inaccuracy of the movement that they feel the error in their movement and that they're allowed to mess up or to fall. And that's, I think, something which could be a whole nother podcast of not only are parents scared of their children without shoes, which is a fear response that they will get hurt, but then they're mm -hmm. um, like helicopter parents and they're over yeah. them and they don't let the child uh, fall and mess up as well. Um, you know, that that's just a big thing that I've learned through my practice because I try to build that in my patients as I see mm -hmm. these these effects into adulthood of decreased body awareness and movement accuracy and perception of self that does connect back to the feet because that's our foundation. And then those that are allowed that freedom of play and exploration and barefoot typically have a higher attunement of accuracy in their movements and control. Mm. Yeah. Well, it makes perfect sense. And I, I can attest to that with my own two children because they were barefoot and have been the majority of their lives. Um, my, my oldest didn't have a pair of shoes. We didn't even buy a pair of shoes for him until he was about two. And the only reason was because we were going to a wedding. <laughs> I felt like he should have some shoes on his feet at the time. But I noticed that they would get on 
um, they would climb and their climbing was so accurate and they were so stable. And then they would get on, um, we had a smaller little mini trampoline that could be brought inside, like a really little one. And my daughter still crawling would crawl up on that and then stand while she was holding my hands and just bounce. Mm -hmm. And I was always so fascinated at how well she could maintain her posture and her balance. And then, you know, she did fall a lot, but it was also because she was just moving a lot. But I, you know, I, I saw that that was very much her interacting with the world and the need for play Mm -hmm. and falling down and getting back up and resituating and retooling. So yeah, I, I agree with you. I think there's, there's a huge need for more play and more flexibility and freedom and less concern about the injuries mm-hmm. because, you know, kids are going to get hurt, but it doesn't mean that it's a detriment necessarily. Right. So would you say then as a wrap up for us, would, would you say that there are some considerations for parents in terms of, um, you know, what, what are some big pieces that they should look out for? as far as being barefoot and things that they might want to try to avoid um, and, and what they can do inside and outside. Yeah. So I think that it is worth mentioning that there are certain foot types in, in children and adults, but specifically in children where some of the listeners may say, but my child has flat feet and Mm. they're very concerned around that. What I do want to say, and I spend a large part of my practice helping parents understand the exact type of flat feet that their child might have, where some children actually do have what's called a ligament laxity associated flat foot. It's it's a form of overpronation, which is kind of this unlocking of the foot, which is very ligament laxed based. Some of those children, I will actually say, do need to be in an orthotic. So there is this, there's an exception to every rule or recommendation. Sure. Um, there, there are the outliers, right? So this is obviously the minority of children that do need or would benefit from orthotics because they have ligament laxity. And where I do advocate that is in the sense that if a child is developing their bones, tendons, ligaments, their nerves, meaning the length of the nerves, I want it to be on a more neutral foot position because of that ligament laxity. Despite that, I will still say that that child does have to have barefoot stimulation, sensory stimulation, natural foot movement. So you always have to do the balance of both, right? Mm-hmm. Um, okay. What I would say is if parents are concerned around it, you know, at least for sure in the home, could could they be barefoot? Um, socks does not mean barefoot. <laughs> yeah. Socks <laughs> is not barefoot. I think that's very, very important for parents to know. Um, yeah. The number of kids and babies, babies that aren't even walking, wearing socks. I just, I don't understand Mm -hmm. it. Um, Mm -hmm. Well, it's like you said, it's mittens on your feet. You know, we wouldn't walk, we wouldn't put mittens on our children and tell them to go around and explore the world. Right. So really when you think about it that way, it makes so much sense to be barefoot. And of course, I know that they're cute because they're fashion, especially if a little girl or Mm -hmm. it's your first baby. Like I get it. I totally get it. But (laughs) um, you know, the child, the child is, or the baby is probably 
doesn't need them from a warmth perspective. I get at night and certain things like that. But most of that element, you want to try to get them comfortable with being no socks and shoes, even around the home. You can bring things into your home that will play with surfaces. Um, at Nabosa, we have a little pyramid, like one millimeter tall. So they're teeny, teeny little pyramids across our mats. So the child can run across the mats. There's little pebble mats. Um, you can go to many different websites and find the way you could integrate this play in, in an internal controlled environment, if you are concerned of being outside. Um, but then also just see and observe and respond to the child and look to see if they naturally gravitate towards something and how that changes their movement, their emotion, their expressions. And if there's a positive shift, then that should be your parental reinforcement to then want to allow that freedom of exploration. Right. Yeah, that's great. That's really great advice. Well, how can people find more about you and your book and your website? Yeah. So my book is called Barefoot Strong. You can get it on Amazon, all of the Amazons. Uh, it's also available on barefootstrong.com. If you go to that website, you can actually took our, take our foot type quiz, and then it goes into some recommendations for your specific foot type. I am on Instagram. My handle is the functional foot doc. And then my podiatry website is my name. So dremilysplickle.com. I see see patients virtually. I see patients all around the world, uh, in person in Arizona, virtually, obviously, uh, globally, and um, always take that functional approach. And then finally, for any of the Naboso products, that would be naboso.com, which is N-A-B-O-S-O.com. Perfect. Well, I will be sure to have all of that in the show notes too. And I appreciate your time and your insight. It has been really wonderful for me. And I, um, I really enjoyed your book. So I do recommend others grabbing it as well. And um, yeah, so thank you. Of course. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening. I hope you learned a few things about the foot and now understand why foot health can really benefit you from head to toe. The next time you go to put on your shoes or you tell your kids to put on theirs, ask yourself, are shoes really necessary? And if not, you know what I'm going to say next. Let them go barefoot. Have a wonderful day. As always, stay curious, stay connected, and stay aware. Until next time.